Welcome back to the Evolution Podcast, episode 138 with the mayor of running, Bart Yasso. My name is Jeff Bayless. You can follow me on Instagram at Jeff Bayless underscore. And as always, if you get anything out of the show, I would really appreciate it if you would give me a five-star review, share it with a friend, or maybe you know consider sharing it on your social media, putting it out there. It really does help the show, and I think you're going to get a lot out of this episode. I'm going to intentionally not read Bart's uh, biography or resume to you, as it were, uh, because I really took a different approach with this episode. Um, Bart has accomplished so many great things over the course of his life thus far, and I think that all that information is out there. Uh, you know, he invented a training method, a marathon training method called 800s. Uh, I, I invite you to, to search that out. Uh, you know, he's an author. Uh, he worked for Runner's World. Well, he was a chief running officer. I don't know if that's a title they made up for him or what, <laughs> but uh, he was a chief running officer for Runner's World magazine. Uh, did a lot of good for that uh, that organization. Just a really good human being, man. Just very accomplished, but also very grounded and very humble. And that was the the spark, I would say, of our conversation. You know, um, we get a little emotional, we get a little raw, and we, you know, we share some really uh, some really great moments in in, in the short uh, time that we got to connect. And uh, I'm sure uh, there will be more. So. I'm just going to let you go ahead and dive in, and uh, I would appreciate any feedback, uh, and I'm sure Bart would as well. All right. Enjoy, guys. Go for it, man. All right. So uh, welcome back to the Evolution Podcast. We've got here on the mic uh, the mayor of running, uh, Bart Yasso. Uh, you know, I think there isn't anybody, sir, that doesn't know who you are if they've ever uh, glanced either a Runner's World magazine or just shown up to a 5K. You have traveled the world, traveled the country. Uh, you know, you were actually... Uh, the speaker at a Shamrock Marathon uh, that I did. Uh, you were at Wine Glass when my wife did that one and qualified for Boston. So you probably have no idea how many people you've actually spoken to and the lives you've touched with, you know, your inspirational, not only story, but just the the character of the person that you are and the life that you have lived thus far. Uh, so first, I just want to say thank you very much. Uh, it's so like, I'm a little starstruck right now, man. Like, this is so yeah, cool I'll, for I'll me. I'll be starstruck, but I thank you for all the kind words. I don't know how I ended up the mayor of running. It's no, you know, I was never voted in anything, but I have heard that moniker forever. And, and I did travel the world and work at Runner's World magazine for 31 years. And I'm, even though I retired from Runner's World four years ago, I'm still, I didn't retire from running and I didn't retire from the running community. I'm still staying as active as I can. No, great. Yeah. And that's a big thread on this podcast is, you know, just, I think overall overarching is, you know, just wellness and resilience. Right. And a big part of that is moving your body and a big part of moving your body for a lot of us is running. Uh, so, you know, I guess I just jump in with, you know, what, what, what are you doing now? Like what gets you fired up? What gets you motivated now? Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I have some health problems going on right now. I'm struggling a little bit, but I'm getting, I check my Strava. I am averaging 10 miles a week, I do about three runs, you know, three miles, a little over three miles sometimes. So, and I'm happy with that. You know, yeah. I got uh, just listen to my body and do what I can do. It's certainly not like the old days, but I'm still getting out there. And, uh, you know, I never take a run for granted. It's a, it's a blessing to be able to run and a joy to just be able to move and get out there. Even though I run at a very slow pace, I, I still have the joy when I get out there and just, 
happy I can move. And I still do some, you know, race announcing at races and public speaking. And, you know, I'm still pretty active in that. What do you think it is? What do you think it is? Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. What what do you think it is specifically about running that brings you so much joy? Well, for me, well, number one, the running community. I find this, I find solace in a running community. It's a very forgiving group of people and very kind people. We, we share this commonality, one foot in front of the other, and we love to do races. But there is this group of people that, you know, they're just good people and they help each other. And so I, I find great joy in just being part of the running community. And then just, uh, you know, I'm an outdoor person. So, you know, just getting out there and running the trails where I live, it, it's just, uh, I just love being out there. I wish I could run more, but I got to pay attention to my body and just uh, be happy what I can do. Uh, not get greedy and get injured or sicker than I am. So I really pay attention to what, you know, what's going on. No. And my other half, my better half, I call her, and she's in the medical field. Uh, so she helps me out tremendously. Uh, she, she, she has uh, what I call mandatory suggestions. She'll suggest <laughs> that I shouldn't run. And I have to ask her, is that suggestion mandatory? And she, I just get a nod <laughs> and that means yes. No, I like we have a little standard joke going on about the mandatory suggestion. Kind of defies what a suggestion is, kind of, but it's fun. But she keeps an eye on me and lets me know what uh, she senses things. And uh, so, but I really just love getting out there. And you know, when I run on this local rail trail, I swear I, I know everyone on the trail. I always, you know, I just run three or four miles and I hear my name twenty times. It's kind of fun. And. Uh, I have a lot of vision problems, so I cannot make out. I, I have a good memory and I know people, uh, but when I run, I can't see uh, everything. My vision's always blurry. When I run, it gets really blurry. Mm. So I can't make people's, who's ever, I just say hi to everyone. <laughs> I figure it's easier to do. Uh, yeah. But, but the running community, it is a very special place. It really is. Uh, I, I feel very lucky to be part of it. I think at a certain point, and I don't want to like overstretch and ask too much about like your age or your health problems, but like, you know, at a certain point, we all kind of get to this, this threshold or maybe the injuries throughout our running career, right. Where we have to take a break and take a knee. Right. I'm reminded of a quote. That's one of my favorite quotes by Amby Burfoot uh, that I've read in runners uh, world magazine about, you know, uh, Oh, I can't remember it now, but I also liked it because being a Navy guy, you know, it was a nautical theme you know, it's basically like, uh, you know, sometimes it, you'll be at the helm and, you know, you'll race hard and PR and then other times, you know, it'll be less, but less is still something don't abandon ship. Right. Yeah. Um, so that, that really resonates with me too. Cause I think anybody that does any kind of endurance, or if we want to be in the long game, we have to understand that there's going to be some injury, right. There's going to be some setback. There's oh, yeah. Be some paper. Yeah. Yeah. I was actually very lucky when I did high mileage, when I was running a hundred miles a week back in the late seventies, early eighties, I, I never really got injured. I was pretty lucky, but I did have some problems with Lyme disease and other stuff. So it, uh, you know, when you get older and age stuff happens, you know, it's just the way it is. Let but, me you know, ask I, you, I, uh, Oh, go ahead. I just soldier on as a way as what I would say, just, uh, be happy what you got and, uh, you know, do what you can. Yeah. Do what you can is right. Yeah. So, you know, I'm just really curious. I, I will get through your, your bio, I'm sure. And, you know, I, I'll do a lot of stuff off show just cause I'm, I really, mm-hmm. 
we can talk about all that, but like I'll share that off show because I just really want to have a meaningful conversation with you. I appreciate your time. So, sure. but I am curious, one thing I've not read about or heard about you is that, you know, was there ever a time in your life, you know, and we can back up to even a childhood where there was a goal to be anything other than the mayor of running, right? Was it always, I'm just going to be this guy that's really good at running or was there a time where you're like, you know, I'm going to be a banker? <laughs> yeah, I don't. You know, it's so funny when uh, when I started running in the 70s, it was really the loneliness of the long distance runner. You know, you'd run, do these long runs by yourself. And uh, I remember, you know, occasionally you would see another runner. You never saw like groups of runners running together. It just was not a thing back in the 70s. Everybody went out and did their long run. Uh, you know, there were pockets like Boston, the greater Boston track club had groups, but around where I lived in Pennsylvania, we didn't have these big groups running together. And I just, I do remember being out there in those long runs thinking, I wouldn't be cool if I could get a job that running would be, you know, my job. And uh, of course it was just like a pipe dream, you know, it's not reality, but it actually was, came true to me. I would think that on those long runs and then, when I started working at Runner's World in uh, 87, 1987, never did I think I would be popular in the running community. I was, you know, happy to be working at Runner's World and, you know, certainly know some people in the running industry and meet a lot of runners, but I never, never could have imagined what happened to me. Uh, and when I look back, people always ask me, when I, when I retired, I got all these interviews from, I, I mean, all newspapers and websites and business journals all over the world wanted to interview me because they said, you loved your job more than anyone we've ever interviewed. <laughs> and I just said, I said, I used to say like, literally the job that I did would be the job description I would do for myself. If I, if I could do my own job description and say, this is what I'd like to do. What I did at Ron's World was exactly what I would like to do. So, I mean, that doesn't happen very often. And no, I feel no. very lucky that that kind of, and I didn't set out to do that. It's not what I tried to do. It just kind of happened. And, uh, you know, Runner's World liked me and I liked working there and we just worked it out. And the company that owned Runner's World was a company by the name of Rodale. And uh, Rodale, the company of Rodale, you know, I had other magazines and books and I shared the same values that they did. So it was the Rodale, Rodale was a family owned business and I shared the same values of the Rodale family. And that made it very special 31 years. And people never thought I would retire when I told them I was gonna retire. And I said, hey, everything has to end at some point. <laughs> now I look at it like there's someone young out there that would love this job. And you know, I'm in, at the time I'm in my mid sixties and travel was getting arduous and I said you know I, I just can't do what I used to be able to do so easily and I said it's just time to step away it's uh cool by me you know I just looked at it with that mindset that everything has an ending point mm. it was time for me to move on and but I did say I would stay connected to the running community which I have done yeah. So I'm, I'm trying to stray away from like, what was your longest run? What was your favorite race type questions? Right. Mm. Cause I'm sure that all is out there. Right. Like I really want to just pick your mindset. And when you said mindset, that really kind of, it, it cued me up because you know, if, if somebody wants to ask you what your favorite marathon is, I'm sure some interviewer probably already asked you that question. So. Oh uh, you know, yeah. I get that quite often. 
Yeah. Yeah. So let's go back to the mindset thing since you brought that up. Right. And you did mention, you know, uh, man, you know, if I could, uh, you know, if I could do this for a job, I would. Right. So do you think it was like a gradual, just kind of steady strain to make it a job or was it just one day you got a lucky break? Like what was the mindset no, coming it was, into it? Yeah. It was gradual. I will, I don't like to give myself credit, but I will say I worked very hard at my job and I was determined to work very hard at my job because I felt like I got this great opportunity and I wasn't going to squander it. I was all in full bore going after it. And, uh, and so I think that played a role. And I just, I, when I look back, I think it just, the magazine and the, and the mission that we had and the company that owned Runner's World, I just think it was just kind of me. Mm. And, you know, they gave me a long leash and said, hey, go out there. You know, you are, you are the representative between the magazine and the general public. So you go out there and do what you think is the right thing to do to connect with everyone and make big fans that, that, you know, that they want all the products that Runner's World has, whether it's our magazine, books, whatever, whatever we got. And that's really what I did. And, and, uh, and you wonder how and you it became just kept snowballing. They kept, <laughs> it just kept getting more and more. And, uh, but the one thing I did, Jeff, I never, ever, ever turned down a work assignment and never said, well, maybe I should do whatever was sent, put on my desk or ask of me. There was never a, a question. I just, said yes and then i'll figure out what they needed me to do including like running the bad water 146 mile race in death valley in july yeah. you know yeah. i wasn't i wasn't an ultra runner at the time but stuff like that just came on my plate and they you know they always said he'll he's willing to do whatever we ask him to do and you know I, and i worked with great mind great people talented people you mentioned Amby burfoot uh, mm-hmm. our editor for many many years i worked with ambi so hey can you hook me up with, with, with andy? great people <laughs> what that? i said can you hook me up with an inter- interview with andy i want to tell oh, him that's my favorite andy quote. Would, yeah andy would love to be on your podcast there's no doubt about it yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, is a really good guy you know and it and when you're surrounded by good people you know it helps you out so i, I you know and i really got along with everyone and it was just uh it was really a just like a dream literally dream come true to wait the way i explain it the runners uh you mentioned shamrock so the, the one year i met shamrock and uh this couple sends me a message i don't know whether it was to twitter instagram facebook whatever they got a message to me and they said are you going to be at the expo we want to ask you a question and i gave them the exact times i would be at the expo and where i would be and this couple comes up to me and you know their their dilemma was uh she was in perfect shape to get a BQ and wanted the BQ and her husband was in perfect shape to break two hours and a half marathon for the first time. And I was like, okay, well, what's the question? Yeah, right, you know, yeah. You're going to BQ, you're going to break two hours and a half for the first time. What's... And uh, they said, well, we brought our 14 year old daughter along and she's going to run the half. And we're, we feel like guilty people because we're just going to abandon her and let her run this half marathon by herself. And, uh, so I said, uh, and she wasn't there at the time with them. And so I said to them, can I run with her? And I said, I'll, I'll help you guys out. I'll run with her. Let me find out if I can keep up with her first. What time you got to run? <laughs> yeah, what's her and pace? I, they yeah. Said, I said, okay, I, I can run that. I can handle that. So I said, I'll run with her and then you guys don't have to work. 
And they looked at me like I was like I was crazy. And I said, no, no, I'm serious. And I said, but don't tell her. Because I said, uh, introduce me to her at some point today. And then I'll know what she looks like. I'll have her bib number. I'll know what corral she's in. Because, you know, like the race is going to give me all that info. And I said, when she comes, I'll be at the start sending people off anyway. And I said, when she gets to, when her corral comes up, Make sure you tell her to give me a wave. And sure enough, she she's in like corral five. She waves at me. And I said, hey, Danielle, I'm going with you. And I got off this platform they had me on and ran the whole half marathon with her. That's and awesome. I felt like I was 14, even though I was in my 60s. But, you know, I'm running with this 14-year-old doing a first half marathon. And we were stride for stride for 13.1 miles. So I, I felt like a kid out there with her. It was a really fun experience. And when I speak to groups, I said, you know, you're, speaking of whatever hundreds of runners i said that's my job like who who in this room would not want to do that as a job and of course every hand goes up that he would want to do it you know my hand uh, just went up yeah and, yeah and stuff like that always happened to me i remember people at shamrock said to me all the time like every time you come here you somehow connect and make a story out of just you know, it just happens organically. I don't go there and say, okay, I'm going to find some kid who's never run a half. And, you know, I don't do that. This stuff, if you put yourself out there, things come your way. And uh, That's great. Yeah. If you put yourself out there, things, things come your that, way. Yeah. That's so true, man. Cause you know, not to interrupt you, sir. I, 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 no, I, no, that's I, you're right. making this interview very easy for me because you're doing so good. <laughs> These stories are great. Yeah. But that's, that's a good, like, that's a good word. You know, I can glean some wisdom from that because you know, you have to put yourself out there just a little bit. You have to, you know, accept the invite, you know, you have to open the door a little bit and, and open yourself up a little bit. Um, so there was a, so the announcer there, uh, Bob Schneidwin, I actually interviewed him. Oh, on yeah. this, so I interviewed him on this podcast as well. He's a good friend of uh, my wife and I both. And uh, same thing, you know, he puts himself out there for the community. And uh, I just keep hearing this overwhelming, you know, theme of, um, you know, community with you. Right. And just wanting to be a uh-huh. part of, part of the, the the people yeah leprechaun bob he does an amazing job he he loves what he does i mean he loves it he oh he's he's gonna love that you uh that you dropped a dropped a name for him too yeah so uh, cool. bob, bob's an awesome guy yeah i'll he, send uh, this i'll send this episode over to him after um uh, so i'm curious uh and i don't know if you've had this question before but uh I'm curious and, 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 you know, please, you know, take whatever liberty you, you want to move with, with the question. But, you know, I think for a lot of people that have done very arduous things, right. Like bad water, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I would just invite any listener that most of my audience is either military or an endurance, like, or just in yeah. some form of, you know, act, active lifestyle, but I, you know, I, anybody that doesn't know bad water you can just look that up, but you know, it's, it's a super hard endurance race. And so like, you know, at times when you take on these huge challenges, there's kind of a lesson there too. And you talked about like kind of a work ethic. Right. And so I guess maybe it's a two-part question. So I'll leave it kind of open. Cause I love open-ended questions myself, sure. you know, so is there an underlying theme of, you know, hard work or work ethic as well. And then with that, uh, was there, you know, maybe some naysayers, uh, that say, Hey, you know, Bart, there's absolutely no way you're going to, you're going to get this done. Like there's no yeah, way you can do this. Yeah. Yeah. The naysayers are always there. And, you know, a lot of them are just jealous of your success and they, you know, they're not successful. So the way for them to feel successful is put someone down. The naysayers are out there, but I never pay attention to it. Uh, it's just, 
it's not worth your time or energy. Uh, but the arduous stuff, you know, running bad water, doing, uh, you know, when I ran Comrades Marathon in South Africa, which is actually 56 miles, they call it a marathon, but it's 56 miles. I was in really poor health and I was really struggling, but it's a race I always wanted to do. And I was entered in it twice and both times that I was entered in and I got sick and never got there. And so I knew in 2010, this was going to be my only opportunity to physically, I felt I physically could do it. And uh, it was arduous. I, you know, you had to break 12 hours or they don't let you cross the finish line. And I came in like 11 and a half hours. I barely made it, but I did make, but for me, it was always, you know, my brother, George, uh, was really like a father figure to me, my older brother, George, and he passed away in 2003 from prostate cancer. And he always wanted to go to South Africa and play rugby. And uh, that was always like the thing that was, uh, you know, wasn't, I always wanted to run comrades, but it was really came through my brother. And, uh, and my brother, George played such a role in my running that uh, I felt like, man, I gotta get, I gotta get there and do this race no matter what. And I'm telling you, I was really sick. I don't know. I see this uh, runner's world did some videos of me and I was, I was in rough shape five miles into the race, still 50 miles to go or 51 miles to go. But the mind is powerful. If they really want something and there's, you know, and if you had the reason to do it, you can do a lot more than you think is possible. And I was actually pretty good at 50 miles. I, my, uh, personal best at 50 miles, six hours and 11 minutes, which is like 725 per mile pace. That's, so that's pretty I always wanted to do comrades and finish pretty high up and do very well, but I, I didn't have the opportunity. I just Lyme disease stuff really put me down. Uh, but when I went in 2010, you know, there was thinking about my brother and I sponsored two children from South Africa through World Vision. And I actually got to meet those two kids in South mm. Africa. It was, it was the coolest thing. I had these awesome photos. Uh, the World Vision people had the kids come out and cheer for us. So, you know, I come running along this old guy limping through 56 miles and, you know, kids come out, they, my sponsor kids come out and give me a big hug. And, oh my God, it was, that's the stuff. It was really not the running. You know, I, you know, I know you get a medal and you, you know, whatever you get for finishing the race, but it really has no, no role in what it's really all about. It was more about my brother and my sponsored children and, uh, and just getting to go to the country of South Africa. We launched Runner's World South Africa in 1993, right after the abolishment of apartheid. Oh, wow. So it was a Runner's World connection there also. So it was, uh, doing comrades was a really cool thing, but I'm telling you, I was, I did a 5k, uh, right before I left and I, I couldn't break 30 minutes for 5k and I thought, <laughs> how in the world am I going to run 56 miles but I was convinced somehow that I was going to do it and uh, and I said I, I really knew my health was declining and I said this is my last opportunity and then I think I had this letter right here I got this letter from uh, I got a gentleman by the name of Bobby McGee let's see if I yeah here it is like the song so, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So Bobby McGee was, is a South African guy, but he was living in the U.S. at the time and a runner and a running coach and a really good guy. And he knew I was hurting. And uh, he knew Comrades was, you know, normally would have been a, you know, an easy, not, I wouldn't say easy, but a, 
very doable race for me at, at a fast pace, but I was just trying to finish. So as I'm ready to pack and go, I get this email and I thought, dang, this is the greatest email ever to get right before I'm leaving because I took it with me and I carried it with me during the race. So Bobby said, uh, he called me a great wise sage. Mm. He said, uh, great wise, wise sage, you'll be in my thoughts when you tackle, tackle comrades. May the warmth of the KwaZulu Natal, which is the area that it happens in South Africa, may the warmth of the KwaZulu Natal and the people of South Africa drive you onwards towards that finish. Savor every moment as you taught us to do. We have run the great marathons and ultras of the world. This is the greatest of ultras and may rank up there as one of the greatest foot races of all time. Being one of the planet's great running spirits, you will be welcomed into its, into its bosom. Even healthy, it examines every fiber of who a runner is. It takes and gives an equal vast amounts. It's a feast of a run with consequences of every imaginable kind. From the moment you hear the shotgun blast to the imploring hands of the crowd at the finish, you'll reaffirm no matter what, you were born to run this race. And I'm like, dang, this guy. <laughs> and then he says, good luck, Bart. may the gods be with you. Draw from that earth, those people, and all the glorious miles you have run on this planet, you will love and need them all. And I thought, dang. Honestly, God, when I read that, I said, I'm going to finish this race. Yeah. How, can a, how can an email tell you you can run 56 miles? Those are powerful words. Absolutely. And, uh, and it still gets me. That was uh, 11 years ago. But it still gets me that letter. And so I carried that with me. And I thought, okay, if I get to a point in a race where I feel like I can't go anymore, I'm going to get this <laughs> out and read it. And I, I guarantee you I'll get to that finish. So that's a great example of the community. Man, I'm, even, I'm getting a little emotional to, with you, man. That's, yeah. that's, that's good. You didn't, have, you didn't have to send that to me, but it's always it's such poignant words. But it was the absolute timing. Like I was literally leaving the next day so I could print this out and uh, – you know, it just reminded me why I needed to, to go do this race because it was something, it was just a personal thing. I had these other connections that uh, sponsored children and my, my older brother who gave me so much and it was really the, played the biggest role in my running. So no, it's so amazing. I want to come back. So first of all, thank you for sharing that. That's, that's, a, oh, yeah. that's a personal, uh, you know, that's a personal moment that you shared. So I appreciate that. I don't take that for granted. So I, I appreciate you sharing that. And I, you know, I, I want to come back to your older brother. I want to hear that, that insight. Cause it sounds like that might've been some of the motivation or at least some of the, uh, you know, carrying through the ability to do some of the things that you were able to accomplish. But I, I want to circle back to, you know, you had mentioned the, you know, when I cross the finish line, I'm going to get a medal on a t-shirt and I have yeah. a personal opinion about the medals and uh, probably people on this podcast, you know, I, I certainly, I, I get it. And I'm not poo-pooing anybody that keeps all their medals and hangs them up. I think it's great. You know, it's a great motivator. Right. Um, you know, the t-shirts I've got, I can't tell you how many t-shirts I have. And, and that's, that's great, great, great stuff. But you know, it's, it's like you said, you, you, the letter was more important than, than right. the medal, right. You know, it's the sentiment. Oh, by far. Yeah. yeah. If so somebody, if somebody had asked me, you know, the medal versus the email, the email is, hundredfold more than what the metal means. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that, I think everybody would agree with that. I guess, you know, what were your, what are your thoughts on like, you know, the, uh, the idea of racing for a medal or, you know, the idea. Yeah, of, uh, and when I started, there weren't finisher medals, even the big races like Boston and New York didn't give you anything when you crossed the line. I mean, they had awards. If you could win the prize in front of the awards, you got something, but, uh, but then it started with the bigger marathons and then eventually got into half marathons and then eventually got into 10 Ks and eventually in the five K. So I think it helped a lot of people and brought a lot more people in the sport that kind of, you know, it was a sport for what they called the elite. It really was, you know, mm -hmm. the back of the Packers, they were not encouraged and they were not celebrated in the old days. So, uh, so I think that really helped bring the sport together and made the sport a lot bigger. So I'm glad it happened. No, I appreciate that. Yeah. That's a good perspective. Yeah. Um, it really, you know, I remember first marathon I did, there was no one came in after four hours. I mean, no, Mm. half first half marathon i directed our last finisher was like two hours and two minutes you know and then we're talking 800 people in the race and the last runner came in two hours and two minutes and now in half marathon the median time is like two hours and 20 minutes so yeah. things change it brought a lot more people into our sport so i was really glad that that change happened well great yeah so talking about people uh and I yeah. love how this conversation is not getting into like training modalities or, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. This is perfect. There's a lot of training stuff out there. That's yeah. all out there. That's right. Yeah. So let's talk about your older brother. I mean, if you're okay with that. Um, you yes, know. I am. My other brother, George, a great guy, you know, he was, for some reason, I just didn't get along with my dad. I don't know what it was. And first off, Jeff, thank you for your service. Uh, oh. My dad was a needy guy, fought in World War II. And, you know, I think of my dad a lot. He passed away back in 2006. And, you know, seven kids, we, there were nine people in my family, seven kids. He put a roof over our heads and fed us and fought in World War II. Those are big things. Yeah. But for some reason, we just knocked heads. We just didn't see eye to eye on a lot of stuff. So my brother George sensed that and he kind of became my father figure. And, uh, you know, I'm not down on my dad. He had a lot on his plate, you know working hard, keeping, keeping, feeding nine people can't be an easy deal. Uh, and then he, you know, became a little successful in the steel company that worked at here in Bethlehem. And uh, so, you know, and we got along later in his life and my life, we really became, you know, a, had a good relationship in the end, but we didn't in my younger years. And it could have been my fault. I don't know if it was him, I'm not sure. But somehow my brother George really sensed this and he really took on the father figure role. And, you know, when I got to the running stuff, he was the one that said, you know, you could really be a good runner if you want to be a good runner. And I, I didn't believe that, but, you know, he was really good at like, just give me enough to get me going, but not do stuff for me. You know, it mm -hmm. was a really good lesson. He said, you know, you're going to have to go out there and, do all the hard work, but I'm convinced you can do it and you could be good at it. So he really helped me out tremendously because none of the stuff that happened to me would have, would have happened to me without my brother, George. And then unfortunately he, uh, you know, his wife and three, he had three kids and he died a young guy. It was brutal. It was, uh, it was really hard to, uh, to be around us, you know, to see his three kids in such turmoil to lose their dad at a young age. It was, it was brutal. 
Yeah. But, Were you able to help you know, out during that time? Or? Yeah. Luckily, that we live close together. And uh, yeah, you know, I helped uh, with, you know, pick his one daughter up at her college and bring her home. And then his younger daughter at her school. It was, it was tough times, but my family it was pretty tight. So we rallied around each other, did the best we could. Uh, yeah, he, I, the, my running would not have been anywhere without Brother George. There's no doubt about it. He played the, by far the largest role. So my mom know. was pretty supportive. She was. Uh, I got this great picture of my mom at Trevi Fountain running the Rome Marathon. <laughs> Such an awesome photo because, you know, my mom went to a lot of my races. And, you know, you go to a race and I just psh, tunnel vision race, run as fast as you can. And when I did the Rome Marathon, I was just you know, happy to be in Rome and I didn't care about my time. And, uh, right. So when I came and my mom was there and she got to see the Pope and all this stuff, it was such a life life altering trip for her and in so many positive ways. And so when I saw her at, at you know, Trevi Fountain, I stopped and gave her a hug and got my picture with her. It was such a, and she's like, you're doing a marathon. What are you doing? Yeah, get going. <laughs> yeah. And I said, mom, don't worry about it. <laughs> And uh, thank God I did that because I got these cool pictures. I stopped, I saw her again at like mile 20 and the same thing I stopped and talked to her. It was so cool. Sometimes that, you know, I was just happy to be doing the Rome Marathon. I wasn't really worried about my time. So it was, uh, and I didn't think at the time, like, you know, my mom would pass away in a few years down the road and they would be my favorite running photos, but that's how it turned out to be. Mm. Uh, but when the picture happens, it's, you know, it's just a picture. Right. But now, they are, you know, the one picture of uh, Trevi Fountain, my favorite, because my mom's got this big smile and she's like, you got to run. And she's so freaked out that I stopped. It was so funny. I just said, don't worry about it. We're, you know, we're not going to be in Italy every weekend. We got to take advantage of being here. Right. We'll see Trevi Fountain in the backdrop every day of a race. So don't stop, worry about stop it. and smell the roses a little bit, right? Yes. Like, yeah. Like, embrace the moment. Yeah. Stop, you know, look around or life will pass you by sometimes. Right. Yeah. There's times that, that you can do that. And that, that was one of those times. And you know, you talked about your brother being sort of a mentor and uh, I'm, I'm glad you had that relationship with your mother as well, that you could appreciate that moment. Um, were there any other, like, you know, I think we, in the military, we definitely use this like leadership word a lot. You know, we use this mentorship word a lot. Um, you know, and I think sometimes when you sit down and you think somebody's going to mentor you, you end up, it can be a reciprocal relationship where you end up either mentoring each other or helping each other. Right. But I would be curious, you know, just to maybe break away again from the normal interview that maybe you've had before, you know, who, who are some of the, you know, really inspirational people for you that kind of helped you along the way? Sure. Well, when you work at Runner's World magazine, you know, you get to meet all the Olympic medalists and winners of Boston and New York and all the famous runners and fast runners. And, uh, you know, a lot of them are very inspirational. And, uh, you know, when you get to meet them on a personal level, it's kind of fun to see what they're really like as opposed to what we think they are really like. Just, you know, they share this thing that they're very fast. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's amazing to, to really, you know, be on a first name basis with these people and get to meet them. But then it comes back to what I always say, the running community. And, you know, there is this elite level people and then there's this community that just strive to be a runner and just finish races and you know it's that combo that I really love because I really connected with people at the back of the pack 
Mm -hmm. I found out, I found out early. It's, a lot of people think, ah, oh, these people finish, you know, it takes them forever to get to the finish line. They don't train, they don't do, and that's not really true. A lot of them overcome a lot of adversity and they may not have the most athletic ability, but they have the passion and the joy and they actually do train hard. Uh, some finish pretty far back in a race. I don't like to use the word back of the pack or, what, you know, just consider everyone a runner. Uh, so I, I, I loved, I feel so lucky that I had that great combo. Could meet people that just, just live to finish a race. Uh, mm -hmm. Just wanted to cross that finish line, whether you know, whatever adversity they would overcome just to, to be a runner. Uh, and then this amazing people that can win Olympic medals and, you know, Med Kaplesky, Dina Castor. Uh, you know, I never met Molly Seidel, the, the new, the new oh, yeah. winner. Uh, but, you know, the other ones have all you know, have a personal connection to, which is really nice. But I've never lost sight of the back of the pack because, you know, it is, uh, when I do race announcing, you know, a lot of times people say, ah, there's only 10 people out there. You can leave. I'm like, I never left the finish line ever. Absolutely. I'm leaving till the last person. You have no idea what, why that person is out there. You know, did they, you know, are they running for the loss of someone or they have a stroke They have they're battling cancer? We don't know. Yeah. So we got to be here when they come in. And, and there's a lot of those type of stories when those last people come in uh, to get to celebrate, you know, what it's all about. I had this one woman at the Richmond Marathon. Uh, she was uh, battling cancer. She finished, and for some reason, she wanted a picture with me when she finished. And she's yelling at the race director, you know, yelling in a nice way, like, I need my picture with Barriasso. And the race director was pointing to me and said, Get over here. So I <laughs> picture with this lovely woman Yvonne and she got this big smile and we got this great photo and I asked her could I get a couple pictures of us and so I had pictures on my phone and uh, it was so cool and then you know, I found out Yvonne was battling cancer she told me because I just I said that I said those words what got you in the running why are you out here today and then she told me that she was battling cancer so I walked with her for a while and met her family and and uh, she didn't let on that how sick she was but she told me she was battling cancer and she said ronnie gives me that spirit to celebrate and be alive you know and then the next weekend she ran philly and the week after that she passed away oh my god and, yeah and so she was very sick obviously and uh i had this picture i still have it on my phone and her, her smiling face just this you know you would think that she won the return <laughs> well in her eyes she did yeah, yeah like nobody had at the finish of that race and i was at that finish line all day and she had the greatest smile and she was the happiest runner that came in and you know i always think wow you know we never know when that last finish line is but man i don't take it for granted anymore i smile like crazy when i finish no matter what time is on the clock yeah it's a joy just to have the opportunity to be out there she taught me a good lesson Mark, that's, that's a good share, man. I'm, I'm curious, you know, cause we talk a lot about, or some people talk a lot about, you know, the, the runner's high or the, the benefits. I'm not sure if you're familiar with EMDR, but it's like a rapid eye movement uh, therapy mm -hmm. for like PTSD or anxiety. And um, I found that to be very beneficial. And I've also found that just moving my body is, you know, good for my mental health as well. But, you know, in relation to what you were just talking about and maybe, 
getting this runner's high. I'd be curious, like your thoughts, uh, you know, in general on spirituality and possibly the connection to moving your body. Yeah, I, there is something there. Like how, how did this woman connect with me? Like she taught me a, a really good lesson that day. And how did mm-hmm. she, I always say, why did you want a picture with me? <laughs> you know, she, but she knew who I was and she knows that I'm at finish lines all the time. And whatever. so I, there is a connection out there spiritually. I don't, I don't know it all, but I, I really feel that way. There's, you know, we're meant to meet some people and, stuff happens to to teach us a lesson yeah i feel that meeting is a perfect example have you ever had a like a spiritual connection uh just on a run you know not involving other people like maybe just a solo you know you you figured something out got a little closer to god or universe or source or whatever that is you know like has there ever been a time where that's happened for you i think it's that happens quite often uh you know since covid hit i i do 99 percent of my runs alone and I just don't know, you know, who wants to run with people, who doesn't. So I just, I go out early and do my own run and I'm not running that far. And I run a very slow pace. There's not many people that want to run with me, uh, but. I'll run with you, I, man. Come to Virginia Beach. All right. <laughs> but I still feel that way. You know, I, I get out there and, you know, just, I, you think, you know, what's going around you and things come in into play and, you know. I always think of Anne, my other half, and Anne is, uh, you know, she's a healthcare worker, works, she's a surgical technologist, so she's in the operating room every day helping people, and, you know, when COVID hit, she's got to be, you know, full on, you know, mask up head to toe, not just what, not just a mask, I mean, they're covered head to toe, and uh, just to be safe, and I look at her every day and think, dang, you know, she heads out the door, I'm just happy, that we're together and then I just hope she comes back safe every day mm. but that, you know and she is a diehard runner and could be such a good runner but she's never really had the opportunity to to train do a lot of miles and I met her a single mom two kids working two jobs you know she just is you know and then she decided to be a nurse or surgical technologist so then She's going to school and working full time and taking care of two kids. So I thought, wow, I hope someday she really gets the opportunity to train and really see her running potential. So I hope that happens because she could be a great runner if she ever really carved out some time and uh, could really get out there and put in some miles. And she has fresh legs because she's never really run a lot of miles. Right. We'll see what happens. But that that's what I think about when I'm out there is connection I have with some people and you know, I really love to help her uh, take her running to another level see see if I can convince her she now just signed up to go back to school and get another degree so I don't know when she's ever gonna take a break but I'm gonna try to get her running to another level what um you know I hear you basically saying you know you're you're in a very eloquent way expressing things that you're grateful for um yeah that's that's I would, I would be curious to pick your brain, you know, just as an older gentleman, that's, you know, kind of lived a lot of life, right. And, and experienced a lot of things that even people, uh, you know, definitely people your age have, have not had the experiences that you've had. Right. Um, so I'd be curious through all those experiences and through all the, all the finish lines, you were telling me a story about, you know, Afghanistan, Iraq, and, you know, being overseas for creating runs for, uh, for the troops and stuff like that. You know, like, 
and and you can tell that story or not it's fine we can we can go back through it but you know i guess my my direct question would be you know what are you most grateful for or what have you been most grateful for throughout your life like what are some of the top five things that just bubble up to the top like man i'm just so grateful for this in my life yeah i mean i you know, everyone, when they talk about running, they think, you know, I was able to win races in the old days and win some triathlons and stuff. And it, of course, it's fun to win a race. But at the end, it didn't mean anything to me, you know, when I could look back at 45 years of running. Uh, you know, it was nice to be that good of a runner or a triathlete, but in the big picture, it was not what it's all about. And, you know, I got inducted into the Running USA Hall of Champions and the RRCA Running Distance Hall of Fame, you know, which are great honors. And I'm very proud of that. But I always have said my greatest honor was being asked to go to Iraq in 2009 and put on those races, put on 5K, 10K, uh, 10 mile races on a military basis. It was a time when Iraq was quieting down and more stuff was going on in Afghanistan. So I think there were a lot of people stationed there and they didn't have a lot to do. So they said it was perfect timing, come on over. And you know, all the military people said, oh my God, it's Groundhog Day here. We do the same thing every day. There's gonna be so much fun. We set up these 5K and 10K courses starting in the bases in Southern Iraq and then moving North. And uh, oh my God, it was, it was unbelievable experience. You know, I felt so safe and so well taken care of. And it was, it was nice to thank you know, to look someone in the eye and thank them for their service when they were literally actively serving, you know, at mm -hmm. the time. And, uh, and then I went to Turkey in 2010 uh, to a big Air Force base called the Insterlik and put on the half marathon there. And, uh, you know, it was, again, such a great experience to be surrounded by all these military people that give us our freedoms. And I spoke at the Marine Corps Marathon uh, pasta dinner many times at least oh, yeah. times. but i remember last time i was there i had this great story and, you were uh, you were there uh 2012 right well if, i don't know if you you've probably been to all of them but yeah i think it was 2012 when i told the story i didn't know that everyone at my table were generals till i got done <laughs> but uh you know i thought okay i'm gonna i'm gonna do my usual talk you know that i have and i always tweak my talks but I, you know my usual message and then i started out with this crazy story where what happened to me at the tacoma marathon i was uh at tacoma marathon and uh this guy came up to me he was battling stage four cancer and he said i'm running tomorrow and i want you to run with me and i'm like dude i'm not entered in the race i'm really not in good shape and uh but I looked at this guy, I said, this guy's battling cancer. I, I gotta go get a, I gotta go talk to the race director, get a bib number and run with this guy. So I did that. Yeah. And, but this guy left me at like 14 miles or something. I mean, he was in better shape than I am. So he leaves me and I'm run. I ended up with this group of runners. And the day before I did a shakeout run, we went to a coffee shop afterwards and everyone was talking and they wanted me to talk. And I said, no, I gotta talk at the expo like three times today. Someone else is gonna tell stories. So the woman sitting next to me, I, I asked her what she did. She said she was a flight attendant. And so I just asked her the craziest question. I said, did anyone ever try to join the Mile High Club on all your flights? <laughs> if you don't have to answer that, you can call me an idiot if you want. She told like three great stories of people trying to be members of the Mile High Club. 
So the next day in the marathon, I'm running with the guy uh, that had cancer. We get a picture together at like mile 14 and then he pulls away and leaves me. And I ended up with this pack of runners and I said, man, I'm hurting. We got to stick together and get to the finish line together. So we're running together. And uh, the woman from the, the flight attendant is ahead of us. And there was only one section of the course where it was an out and back section, like a tree line median in the road. So we're heading out and these other runners are coming the other way. And I did say to this flight attendant after she told those stories, I said, you are my favorite flight attendant. But I didn't know a woman's name. I'd never been on a plane with her. <laughs> so anyway, we're, we're running this way and she's coming this way and she starts screaming, bar, bar. And I can't see, like, I, I don't know who it is. And she realizes I don't have a clue who it is. And she said, bar, it's your favorite flight attendant, the Mile High Club. Oh and no. And then I realized there was complete silence of the runners I was running with. I mean, like you could hear a pin drop and we're going along. And then all of a sudden one of them said like, okay, what's the story? And I'm like, oh, you guys, I said, I don't know that woman's name. I've never been on a plane with her and they didn't believe me. <laughs> so for like the next four miles, I had to convince these people that I didn't know the woman. I'd never been on a plane. They, they didn't believe me. And they thought I was a member of the Mile High Club. So I told that story at the Marine Corps Marathon. I started off my talk with that story. And I thought when I got off that stage and go back to my table with this general, those guys are going to beat me up or something. And the exact opposite happened. I remember Rick Nealis from the Marine Corps Marathon. He was just all smiles because the general got up and gave me a hug. And those guys, I don't think they really do that that often. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Really a cool experience. That uh, No, that's told, funny. Uh, yeah it fun and then got to the serious part but i did close out my talk and i meant every word that you know we have boston new york chicago we got races in every big city in america but i did say marine corps marathon races like this are the most important races because without the military presence we don't have the freedom to put on the other races yeah they really liked my closing because it is true yeah well, I will tell you. I'm not saying Marine Corps is the best as the T-shirt and the hoopla and all that stuff, but it is the best of people that put it on and the reason they put it on. Yeah, everybody, everybody's got to get the mock turtleneck, right? Um, yeah, there you yeah. go. Yeah, you know, I mean, I stuff. I'm not knocking them, but you know, you know what I mean. Like it. Absolutely. Yeah. Boston has the most prestige and this stuff. But I, I, you know, I said Marine Corps. That's truly what it's all about. Air Force Marathon and the others. But you know, um, you were talking about, you know, the service members uh, saying it's like Groundhog Day and it really is like, you know, you get into a groove. I once ran uh, 42 miles on a treadmill uh, oh. on an aircraft carrier, just like staring at a bulkhead or at a wall. Right. And uh, the, the thing I say, and people ask me like, how do you do that? I'm like, well, what else am I going to do? You know, like, you know, for the, for this particular time, I had a six hour stint of nothing to do. So that's what I did. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there are definitely times when it's very stressful and there are many things to do. Uh, but yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that's really great, man, because, you know, I think a lot of, uh, you know, it's hard to call it service because it's so rewarding. Right. And even what you did was an act of service. Right. Uh, by going out there and helping, uh, you know, it, 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 it really, you, you really don't know the benefit of what you did because it probably impacted people for weeks and months and years to come because you went out there and facilitated that for them. So 
I, I thank you for your service, man. That's like, that's a really powerful thing to do for others. Yeah. Quite an honor. But I got to say that uh, one of my good buddies, uh, Sid Bush is his name. He's in his seventies and he always runs in memory of a military person who was killed in action. And he's run over 200 marathons, but that guy, 27 years in the Navy, 18 years in a submarine. Goodness. Yeah. Uh, when you said run on a treadmill for 40, whenever I get on a treadmill or I'm in that kind of situation, I think of my buddy sitting, I'm like, that yeah. dude in a submarine for 18 years. I'm going to be fine. Yeah, you can do it too, right? <laughs> I can get by running an hour on a treadmill. It's icy, snowing or whatever. I got. I don't, I don't like being indoors and like a treadmill, but I always, I think, I, think I would say most people don't. Yeah. Most people prefer outside. Yeah. I think there is a more of a mental health benefit there as well. You know, um, you know, you, you're, you're getting the scenery, you're clearing your mind. You know, I, what I do is like a little meditation for like the last mile or two, depending on how long the run is, you know, cause I might do an audio book or a podcast or something like that on a workout. It's a good way to consume some information at the same time, uh, as, as getting a run. But I, I do encourage that, I, and, you know, I don't know what your thoughts are on that as far as like, you know, what you're having in your earbuds as you're running. But definitely, I would say if you're in a race, you need to enjoy the experience. Right. But uh, yeah. 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 But I, I never ran with music till recently. And once Aftershocks came along and. Uh, yep. I got a pair of those as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's safe. safe. Uh, I use them when I'm, you know, like on the rail trail and stuff. And uh, I like listening to music. I like listening to podcasts, inspirational stories, uh, and audio books. So yeah, yeah, definitely audio books. I, I know a really good podcast I'm recommend is called the evolution. Um, I know the guy is a great guy. His name is Jeff Bayless. Super good guy. <laughs> I like Lame joke. All right. Hey, um, I want to be, again, I want to be mindful of your time. I was trying to keep it. You know, okay. Um, well, so like the last or one question that really it, it's kind of a long winded question, but I ask everybody like kind of as I, I close down, you know, I, I, for, for a lot of my life, I think I focused too much on my legacy and reputation, which is why I went into the military and served 20 years. You know, I was so worried about, you know, and, and clearly you have a legacy, right? So I think this question is going to land with you uh, extremely well and powerful because I focused on my legacy and my reputation at times I lost sight of my character and my value system. Right. So had I just focused on my value system, my virtues and my character, my reputation and legacy would have taken care of itself. Right. And, and you're, you're a prime example of that. You know, you're such a good human being that you've got this enormously positive and impactful reputation and legacy without even trying, right? Like all you did was what you thought was the right thing to do. Um, Just being yeah. Yeah. So my question is, that was more of a statement, I guess, but my question is, you know, how would you hope, um, you know, others would describe your character maybe 10 years from now, 20 years from now, uh, you know, if, as you're being remembered or, you know, God bless you. Hopefully it's 40, 50 years from now. Uh, as yeah. you're being remembered, what would, how would you hope others would uh, describe uh, your character? Yeah. So when, when I cleared out my office at Runner's World after 31 years, and when people visited Runner's World, they always wanted to come to my office because there was not any place on my walls that had any space. Everything was some race something or bib numbers. or I mean, I literally ran all over the world. So I had all this. Yeah, you did. 
crazy stuff. And everyone looked at my office like a museum, even people that worked at Warner's World or people that worked at other magazines that we had at, at Rodale. They would come into my office and go, you get stuff from everywhere. And, uh, you know, and visitors just love my crazy office. And my, uh, the windows on my office, I had bib numbers covering all the windows on my office door. And people thought I was artistic. And I said, no, it has nothing to do with art. I said, uh, when I had the opportunity to, get to go out and do my run at lunchtime, I literally changed in my office. So I had those yeah. bib numbers on. Oh, my oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. so I could close my door, quick, put on running clothes, and boom, head out the door. And back when I could just go out and run 10 miles in an hour and stuff like that in the old days. So I really took advantage of that, that time and that space. But I remember when I cleared out my office, I took a lot of stuff. But, you know, I left a lot of stuff, too, because I thought, okay, this, you know, I played a role in this, but, you know, it's, it's really not what it's all about. I really took a couple... Uh, messages that were sent to me, like the, you know, the Bobby McGee letter. And I had this one dad reach out to me one time and his son, they would, the school wouldn't allow his son to run on the cross country team because they had a mental disability. And I said, they can't do that, man. So I got, you know, he had me get in touch with the school and then his son got to run. And eventually I got a, his dad and brother and this young kid in the New York City Marathon. And, you know, it was mm. so cool meet this kid and he always sent me these letters you know the font was like five inches tall and it was his brain never developed after he was five like a five-year-old oh. so i got letters like a five-year-old even though at the time he was you know in his late 20s he would send me these cool letters uh you know and then sign them to me and call me as running here it was really cool so i saved all of those and obviously i took those home uh but it was really you know, when I cleared out my office and when I did all those interviews about my retirement, I just said, if there's one thing I want to leave with the running community and all the runners is how inspirational they are. And you're going to inspire people that you're never going to meet. You know, they, they are watching you, whether it's at church or your neighborhood or at work or where, wherever. And you're inspiring people. So don't, you know, just be you. Go out there and be yourself. And I received an email from a mom, and this is a perfect example, because I never would have known that I connected with her son. And uh, but she sent me what her son said, and I was like, man, that was a one of those times I had to get up and close my office because it was such an emotional mm. email. And I always was a person that had my office door open, except when I was changing to go run. Or uh, I always said to people, my office is always open. Come in if you have any questions, but. I really wanted people to know how much they inspire people and they may never know who, you know, who they are. So I get this email from my mom. Her son's autistic. And uh, he's like, when this was sent to me, he was about 14 years old. But mom came to my talks at races and she was with her son. So he really paid attention to me. I would have never known this. Uh, but she said, she told me, she said, ah, you know, He's not communicative, but I ask him at night, what's going on in that head of yours? Talk to me. And he doesn't talk. And so one night I ask him to talk and bam, she takes a notepad. He's talking and here's what he said. He said, I, uh, I wish I knew why I have no friends. And you're like, nah, oh, that would be tough. Yeah. Uh, I know that part of it is because I don't understand how to be in social situations. But I just want friends my own, own age to like me. 
I wish Bart Yasso was my age. I'm like, Jesus Christ. Oh, man. <laughs> he said, uh, he's really a good person. I think he would be a, good, a great friend. He'd be okay with me not knowing how to talk to people. He doesn't make fun of me for not for liking video games and being awkward around people. And I just think what these autistic people put up with all the time. He says, he makes me feel like I'm not bad. And I go, Jesus. And he says, uh, I wish that other people wouldn't want to hang out with me like to hang out with him. I wish I could be around people and socialize like he does. I wish I could be Bart Yasso for a day. Wow. Hey, I'm reading this thing. I'm, and then I thought, this kid had the perfect ending because I was all torn up reading this. And he said, he said, I want to be Bart Yasso, but I don't want to do all that running crap. That yeah. he did. And I thought, oh my God, I, I don't know how I could get a, a laugh and a smile after reading that earlier part, but I did because yeah. it, it was like a perfect ending. But I eventually did run a 10K race with mom and her son, and it was kind of cool. So if this woman didn't tell me this, how could I have ever known? Right. But being a public figure, having your email address on the masthead of runner's world, it's easier for people to connect with me. So, uh, but not everyone, not everyone has their email in a, in a magazine at the time we had like 2.3 million readers of runner's world. So my email was out there with a lot of people. And, and this woman was kind enough to uh, realize what it would mean to me that I inspired her son. So, and it was, uh, I got two letters that, I, that tear me up still today. And that one came in, I don't even remember when that came, like 2016 or something like that. But yeah, so my message was always, you know, best way to be inspirational is be yourself and just do what you know is right. And just be you and inspire people without, you know, you don't wake up and say, okay, I got to go inspire five people today. Just kind of, let it just happen by being a good person and being kind and go out there and be yourself. And that's living proof. Man, I'm, I'm getting emotional with you. Like literally that's, that's so, that's so inspiring, man. That's just like. Torn up doing your podcast, but. No, oh, that's great, man. Let it out, bro. <laughs> yeah. You know, when you read something like that, you put yourself in that kid's shoes. Like how, how you really feel what, what an autistic kid goes through every day. He puts it in plain words. It's pretty tough. So I, you know, that's that's what tears me up. It's not so much, you know, it is cool that I connected with this kid. He wants to be me. Uh, but it's really, uh, yeah. Got to be out there and exactly what you said, Jeff. Be yourself and the good good things will follow. I'm convinced of that. Yeah, I think it's it's really inspiring also. It's very inspirational for men to see uh, a man of your caliber connect emotionally uh, with someone else, right. In in the way that it still chokes you up now. Right. Like it's because, you know, for a lot of military guys, like, you know, we wear this mask of masculinity, you know, like I'm tatted uh -huh. up, you know, just tattoos everywhere. Right. Like, you know, just this, this shield of, you know, and, and of, yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, putting off this front and to see another man, connect emotionally with you know someone like that on a powerful way that's that's really i think that that give if if, if barriasso can be that cool i mean you know we should all be able to connect on that level as well i mean 
it's really it's really interesting and, and I appreciate that um, because we need more of that. We need more people that are willing, especially as men, we need more people who are willing to you know care enough to get emotionally uh, charged by things that we should be, you know that we, we should care about. Yeah. Oh, when I first read this thing, I was I was a basket case. Yeah. But I, but I honestly, I did smile and laugh when I got to the end because I thought, oh, my God, this kid, he should write the close to everyone's letter because that was like the perfect thing. I line, yeah. yeah. I read that. Oh, my God. And he is a runner, which is cool. So I couldn't keep up with him in the 10K race that we did. So he would run ahead and sit on the curb and then we would catch up to him. Either could his mom, she, we couldn't. We were running together and then he would run with us for a while and he'd just like pick up the pace and then we were yelling, slow down. And then when he got out of, we, he couldn't hear us anymore. He'd realize he pulled away and just sit in the curb, wait for us, see us coming and run with us some more. It was pretty fun. Well, you know, I was just thinking in real time as we're talking in uh, uh, today's my, my anniversary uh, with my wife and we, we actually met, we actually met running uh, or triathlon Um so, you know, it, it's interesting, you know, just the connections you can make. I mean, I met my wife doing this, right? So um, I do want to, in real time, I'm thinking, though, like, if you're open to it, I, I would love to have you back on to, so I love how we didn't talk about the mechanics, but I'd love to have you back on to maybe do some of that in a, in a later episode, if you're interested, because um, I know that I'm going to get, I'm going to get blown up with this, this episode. So um I might get a bunch of like Q and a, um, and, and maybe yeah. if, if you're open to it, you know, like maybe we could do this again sometime soon. Uh, Absolutely. Good. Count me in. That's yeah. great. Yeah. So, Hey, Bart, you are my running hero, man. Like I promise no crying emails. We'll just talk uh, other stuff. No, no, dude, that was perfect. Yeah. You know, you're so inspirational. A good friend of mine, uh, I'll go ahead and name drop him here. Jim Gigliotti. Uh, he's probably 74 now. And the guy's, the guy's a badass, you know, like he really is like Ironman triathlete still gets after it just inspires me at 40 years old. Like the, the, the things this guy has done and continues to do, I mean, it's pale in comparison to you, sir, but uh, man, just, it, we all could take a lesson from uh, those that go before us and really, you know, kind of conquer these things so we can see that we can achieve them as well. So I'd love to have you back on open invitation, but don't, don't, don't doubt if I'm blowing up your email here really soon for another yeah, on episode. Be happy to do it, Jeff. And no, that's yeah, great, man. Service and every all the military people that uh, listen to your podcasts, I thank all of them for their service. All right, thank you. I'm sure we'll do this again soon if you're open to it. I appreciate it. Open to it, Jeff. Guaranteed. All right. All right. That was such a great conversation. I could have talked to that man for another two hours. Uh, like I said in the uh, in the introduction, you know, I really attempted to uh, take a different approach with, you know, trying to get to know who the man is and what inspires him and what what has motivated him and what is, you know, what is the mm, the why behind it all and, and, and who he really is. Uh, and I, I think we did a, a pretty good job of that. Um, like I said, I, I think I will have Bart back on and uh, we will talk about some more of the nuts and bolts stuff, you know, like what was your favorite race? Well, what's the best way to do this? You know, why did you create the 800s? What's in your book? You know, things like that. I think those are valid questions and very important if you're in the um, running community. I also believe that there's just so much behind, you know, that that layer behind that uh, 
that, that outer shell and uh, man it was just really powerful to connect and you know he got emotional I got emotional and you know that's that's part of the running community it isn't necessarily always about you know the personal record or crossing the finish line and breaking the tape and winning the race you know it's about the why it's about why why challenge yourself why push yourself what are you doing this for who, who you know are you battling cancer who can you help who can you bring with you and man Bart has brought so many people with him through the love of moving his body you know and bipedal locomotion so you know I think there's a lot of people in Bart's position that could have just done these these feats uh, you know, bad water and all the, the marathons and everything. And, uh, you know, just kind of kept it to himself, you know, just kind of kept the trophies on the wall and that would have been the end of it. And what's so remarkable about Bart is that, you know, he has really shared his story. He has, as he said, really put himself out there in order to help people. You know, just the fact that he would hold on to that letter, uh, you know, so many years later, really is a testament of the man's character. So I'm super proud to have had him on the show. I promise you I'll bring him back. Uh, we've already kind of been going back and forth about uh, topics, you know, maybe Q&A. And so I would just tease that for you as well. You know, if you have anything for Bart, uh, maybe on a second episode, you know, send that over my way. Uh, you can find me on Instagram, Jeff Bayless underscore. And, uh, you know, literally I would say where to find Bart, but just Google him. You'll find him. I think it's pretty much just like BartYasso.com is his website. So... All right, guys. Well, I will continue the uh, four-part series uh, later this week or early next week. And uh, until then, I appreciate all feedback, all support, and all the love. I reciprocate. I love you guys. We'll chat next week on the Evolution Podcast.